Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Free From Missing Out. Hopefully by now you know my name is David, and this is the podcast about living in a connected world. If you didn't know that, I'm guessing that you're new to the podcast, so welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us here this week where we're going to talk about data privacy. Uh, if you're not new, welcome back. Thanks for listening to me again on episode eight. I'm really surprised you're still like listening to me at this point, but I'll take what I can get. For both of you new and old to the podcast, if you have not gone to Apple Podcasts yet and subscribed and left us a review, make sure you go and do that. It really helps us out, and I really appreciate all feedback, whether it's good or bad. So last week we talked about minimalism, how it's not just about living in a tiny house, but that there's more to it and really taking a look at how we perceive our stuff and our things. So if you haven't taken a listen to that episode, make sure you go back and listen to episode seven. I think it was a pretty interesting topic and I'd like to hear your thoughts about it as well. As for this week, we're going to talk about data privacy because I was motivated by a documentary that I watched over the weekend and figured I'd do my own research about it and that other people might be interested in it as well. So we're going to talk through data privacy, where it came from, what it means living in this connected world and how it's going to affect us going forward. But before we get into that, we obviously need to play that intro music. Data privacy, a very complicated issue that I'm sure you've seen in the media the past couple weeks and months with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. It's becoming a much more talked about topic as the world becomes more and more connected and as we are willingly sharing more and more of our data online. So I wanted to talk about this week, is privacy dying in specifically our data privacy? Is it dying or is it already dead? And is there anything we can do to save it or try and fix it going forward? Before we get into that, I think we need to talk about what we mean by privacy and data privacy. And I'm sure you've had someone tell you at some point, or privacy is dead, or I have nothing to hide, so I don't care about people looking in my stuff or the government monitoring me or Facebook or social media companies monitoring me because I have nothing to hide and putting that stuff online. I'm all right. I don't think this is completely true. I think people kind of downplay the seriousness of the problem of data privacy. So I was curious of how true this is. Have we already lost the war on data privacy? Is there any point into actually trying to keep our data secret or trying to keep stuff off the internet? And this is becoming a bigger and bigger issue because we are constantly generating data. In fact, being connected to our phones and our smartwatches and our computers, we're making trillions of bytes of data per day. Uh, Everything from health data to social media data to transaction data tied to Venmo and our credit cards. We are a walking treasure trove of data for companies to use and sell to other entities. In last year, data surpassed the value of oil. And now as a multi-trillion dollar industry, 
of all this data that's existing from the platforms that we interact with. And if you think this data that you're generating is being dumped into a black hole or it's not being kept, you're wrong. Everything from Venmo to credit card information, things that we might not actively think about of being stored information is being tracked and monitored and is available. Now, whether or not the company is using and selling that information is a much different story, but that data is being kept and it's being stored for future use. And I think you can really see the evidence of this with the recent Facebook scandal that um, Cambridge Analytica, this analytics company that no one had ever heard of until this story broke, was found that it used Facebook data on tens of millions of users to help push political campaigns from the Trump campaign to Brexit to various other campaigns around different countries. It was mining social media data to help profile potential voters and push information to them. They actually claimed at one point that they had nearly 5,000 data points on over 200 million voters in the United States. And just thinking about that, there's a company out there that more than likely has thousands of data points on you that it pulled from Facebook and other open sources that it can use to profile and accurately predict who you will vote for. And if you're undetermined, it would actively push media towards you to help you vote for whoever they were hired by. And if you are on social media or any app that's connected to the internet, which is almost all of them these days, from gaming apps to Venmo to other banking apps, you are part of this network of data. You are generating data points that these companies are selling and mining to help influence global politics in other major scale decisions. But we're going to get back to the present day scenario a little later. First, as with all topics on this show, I'd like to dig into the history of it. And the history of data privacy is incredibly long. So as far as we're concerned, data privacy has been an issue nearly as long as we've been alive. From social media to cell phones, we have been born into a connected world. And we'll talk a bit about the impact of this later. But what it means is that it's typically not on the forefront of all of our minds. And the history of data privacy is incredibly long, but it can be traced back to 1890. Specifically, two legal scholars, Samuel Warren and Louis Brandy, they wrote a legal article titled The Right to Privacy. And this was the foundation of what evolved into modern data privacy laws. But at the time, it resulted in a couple torts and other laws being enacted to help protect users' privacy. And now that's half the story. You have you know these legal scholars who were publishing an article. But what I was curious was as to what the reaction was. What caused them to need to talk about data privacy or human rights? And it's probably not what you would think. I'll give you a second here to imagine what technology you think would cause a rise in data science or data privacy rights in 1890. It was actually the handheld camera. So to put it in perspective, if you imagine a world before the handheld camera, photography was a long process. You had to sit down, usually for extended periods of time, to get your picture taken. So the risk of someone taking a picture of you without your permission 
was um, very slim, if not non-existent at all, because this technology was not easily portable and not easily able to snap pictures of moving people, for instance, or anything real time. But that all changed in 1888 when George Eastman invented the Kodak camera. The Kodak portable handheld camera now allowed people to take up to 100 pictures anywhere they wanted, send them to Kodak, who would publish them and send them back to the user. And we'll ignore the archaic means by which people were forced to take pictures then. But what it meant was now your public actions could be documented by anyone. This changed the entire social landscape of privacy. Before this, you didn't have to worry much about someone capturing your public actions, whether it was an outburst or a dance or anything. No one was looking, and other than a direct witness who might talk about it to a paper, no one was capturing it. But now you had to worry about people with these cameras and these amateur photographers could take pictures of anyone at any time without their permission. In fact, it was so drastic that soon after these cameras were released, they started being banned in public areas from national monuments to parks to restaurants. People weren't allowed to bring these cameras or take pictures. And obviously with every technology, this slowly dissipated and 10 to 15 years later, you saw these bans being lifted as more and more people were using these cameras. Now, the reason I think this is important is because it really goes back to the bare bones of what data privacy entails, and that is using your personal information in a way that you did not intend. And this personal camera is a great example of that because it shows how even though the technology was simple, people were still worried about their actions or their image or their likeness being used in a way that they did not approve. And fast forward to today, you can see how that has drastically changed in that no one really worries about taking your picture of things. In fact, if you do something in public, it's very likely that someone will video it or post it live instantly. And beyond that fight now, we now have to worry about the information we're willingly giving away. But, But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're still on the history. As I mentioned, these articles written by Samuel and Lewis, they really set the groundwork for the future of data privacy law. So if you fast forward to 1980, the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, they passed guidelines on data privacy and personal information. And as I remind you, this is back in 1980, nearly 100 years after these original data privacy laws were first put into writing. Now, These guidelines passed by the OECD were not legally binding. It was more of a framework for how countries who were part of this organization should model their own data privacy laws. And these guidelines focused on the personal aspect of data, how a human should have rights to know what their data is being used for, to request it back if they found it was being used by a company, And this led to the creation of a lot of data privacy laws for almost a third of the members of the OECD. Now, while this data law or this guidelines, these weren't passed as a reaction to the portable camera, as it was in 1890, they were passed as a reaction to more and more data being stored in computers. 
and this rise of data being gathered and stored led some people to worry about how that data would be used. And if companies are aggregating our personal data, should we have rights over that? Should we be able to control what these companies do with it or where our data is held? Clearly, a lot of countries agreed because, as I said, you saw a rise in data privacy laws being passed across 33% of the countries that were involved in this organization. But little do they know, I think, how bad this problem was going to get as we move into the 21st century. So now we're back to today. And I think if you ask a lot of these people from the 1890s or even the 1980s, if they could imagine the future we're in now, I think a lot of them would be incredibly baffled, not just by how people aren't that concerned with data privacy, but how much data we willingly post on the internet every single day. In fact, our generation, or I guess not in fact, interestingly, our generation has a higher degree of trust across all categories of companies from banks to social media to credit cards and email providers, we surpass every other generation by nearly 10% in the way that we trust these companies. Now, if this can be pointed as a direct byproduct of growing up in a connected world, I'm not sure, but it still shows that we're not terribly concerned about companies using our data in a malicious way. We trust them. In addition to that, a survey led by the American Press Institute found only 20% of millennials were concerned about having their personal information online. Now, to me, this isn't surprising because we are part of the social media generation. We are part of the ones who were connected from elementary school onward, and having our data online is almost par for the course at this point. And I think until recently, the problems never manifested themselves anywhere. We never saw the downsides of having data on Facebook or Instagram. But I think that's becoming more apparent, and I think the mood towards these data companies is changing. Based on the data alone, it seems like part of us have given up. It seems like we as a generation have that mentality of, quote, who cares? I have nothing to hide. And that has become our mantra and how we view data privacy as a whole, not just with our own interactions. In fact, I have caught myself saying this phrase to my parents when they ask about or do the classic warning about posting stuff on social media or on the internet in general. I found myself saying, um, I have nothing to hide. I, I'll put whatever I want up there. It's not a big deal. Who cares? But in reality, I think this is almost a fake air of confidence we're trying to project But in reality, we do care about our privacy. I know myself, at least, I say that I don't have anything that I care about being online, yet I still close the the door when I go to the bathroom. I still lock my phone. I still use passwords. And if I truly didn't care about what's online, I wouldn't do any of that. I wouldn't care if people saw my pictures on my phone or read through my messages or use my applications on my computer, but I do. Yet when it comes to social media and companies, we tend to say that we don't care, that we don't care that they have all of our photos and our pictures and our likeness and everything we've wrote they own now as part of the platform. And I don't know if I understand that disconnect. 
Now, this hasn't stopped people who are much smarter than me from trying to figure out what's going on. Why do we disassociate data privacy with social media and this online community? So Woodrow Harzog, he's a professor of law and computer science. He partnered with Medium and wrote an article about how the view on privacy is changing. So in his opinion, most of us tend to view privacy as an object, meaning something that can be lost and found. When in reality, it's more, it's not a static object, but more of a verb in terms of protecting our informational privacy. And this was a big awakening for me because when you listen to people talk about it, especially our generation, privacy is seen as a one-dimensional thing. You either have it or you don't, rather than the spectrum of verbiage. So determining how much privacy you lose and how much you gain, and also in terms of fighting for it. So we can't have a complete win unless we have total and complete privacy, which I don't believe is a reality anymore, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't push for legislation and company policies that better promote data privacy. And in reality, this doesn't just affect people on social media, because you might be the person who somehow listening to this podcast, but not on social media, not on the internet, and chooses to keep themselves offline all this data is now being pulled from even those who aren't on the platforms themselves. If you walk out in public now, you now have facial recognition, sensors, beacons in stores that are constantly monitoring phones that come in their radius, as well as cameras that are monitoring everyone's face as they go by. Are you opting into giving up your privacy because you are living in the world? And this is a question that's going to need to be posed as we go farther and farther down this, in, I mean, as technology gets better and better, this is going to have to be asked more often. Along with that, along with people's data being used more and more frequently, it's a new age in terms of marketing. Because in the past, we talked about the history of data and where this all came from. It was all well and good that this rise in data privacy came from people feeling they were being watched all the time. But there wasn't a huge market for the data. Back, Take it to the extreme, back to the Kodak camera. No one was taking these pictures and selling them to advertisers because, oh, that person's wearing a red hat. They must like red hats. That wasn't the case. This day, People were just concerned that their picture was being taken somewhere and they didn't even know where. Now we're past that. Our data is being taken, given to companies, but then that is coming back to us in the form of targeted advertising and then even information campaigns. And that's what's changing. As advertisers are now having more and more data to use, data is becoming cheaper and cheaper. So we've never been concerned about our photos or videos being online because we couldn't come up with a way, we couldn't fabricate a way that it would be used. Okay, my photos are on Facebook, who cares? What are they gonna do with my photos? Now there's a reality where all that data is being used and it's becoming cheaper and cheaper. So we were shielded in the past by a lack of companies needed to sell it. So we had this data online, but no one needed to use it. Now there's more and more of it because we are constantly using social media more and more. And that's making it cheaper. And these advertising companies and these companies like Cambridge Analytica who use the data for much larger scale purposes than just selling you a pair of shoes are now buying and using this data on a massive scale in ways that we've never even dreamed up before. Along with that, along with companies using our data in more and more creative ways, 
these companies are actually in, in the whole technology landscape is changing faster than the laws can accommodate for. And we talk about facial recognition, but that's just one example. Technology in its whole is progressing faster than people can legislate it. In fact, Microsoft President Brad Smith has called for governments to start regulating these technologies now before we even see what applications they're going to fall into. And to use facial recognition as an example, it's not far-fetched to think about a future where we wear our smart glasses or our phones and you can look around a room and it would recognize people for you, that you don't need to know the waiter's name or that person who you kind of recognize in the corner because you could look at them and your glasses would pull up their name. That is the true essence of a connected world, and it's not hard to see how a social media company could guise that under the sense of being more connected, but in reality, is it violating people's privacy? Would people feel more secure if they could look around a busy street and attach names and see profiles, and then when you disconnect, you would feel weird that you don't know everyone around you? I don't think that's a far-fetched future. I mean, personally, I think that's a very reasonable future to get to technology-wise, Now it's just a matter of would the laws prevent that? Could I prevent myself from being looked at and everyone knows my whole Facebook history, my relationship status, and everything else? And even beyond facial recognition, we're now willingly sending our DNA to companies. I'm sure you've seen a ton of advertisements or even bought it as a Christmas gift or something. These companies are aggregating our own DNA to build networks of people. They're attaching all this data, all this ancestry And they're building massive networks of personal information that while it might not be being used nefariously right now, it's still just adding to that data pool that we're giving people. So we've gone from just giving images and relationship statuses and our personal political views to now sending our own DNA, which I don't think lawmakers could have even comprehended back 30 years ago when a lot of these data privacy laws were being put into place. And now we're trying to play catch up and legislate all these new technologies when a lot of times the damage has already been done. But I don't think it's all bad news, at least, at least for majority of people. It was hard to isolate our generation specifically. And while our generation might be apathetic about data privacy, people are aware of what's going on. So the CIGI Ipsos 2019 Global Survey on Internet Security and Trust found that 75% of people cite social media as being their main source of distrust on the internet. This was in second only to cyber criminals. We are actually equating social media companies to cyber criminals in our sense of distrust towards them. Yet no one seems to be leaving these platforms. Now, there are some studies that shape behavior is changing, that this is actually manifesting itself in action, not just distrust. So 43% of people now, according to that same survey, say they take steps to disclose less personal information on sites like Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. So people are trying to get better, but in reality, more and more people keep joining these platforms. Now, there are some surveys and statistics that estimate Facebook could be losing millions of users every year at this point, but it's still fuzzy and it's contradicted by Facebook itself, which says the platform is still growing. And there's no disagreement on Instagram, which is just past a billion users. It's growing rapidly, especially among millennials and Generation Z. 
So while we don't trust these companies, we're still putting information up there. Even if we don't think it's personal information, we don't fully understand how it's being used. We might think that just because we're posting our picture and nothing else on Instagram, that no one could possibly use that for something. Yet we don't consciously think about that they might be analyzing the picture itself. Oh, she wears this set of clothing, or look, he has that watch on. Now we can start targeting him with those types of ads, as well as start dissecting political affiliate by or political affiliation by measuring what types of campaigns they might be wearing, where they are, are they checking in at a campaign on social media? Now we can start hitting them with political ads. I think we need to start thinking about how connected everything is as technology keeps getting better and better. What this does, I think, show without a doubt is that social media addiction is very hard to overcome. That even though we know all this bad stuff is happening, it's still hard to turn off those screens. I I speak for myself because I know that I can't get off of social media, even though I know they're using my data in these types of ways. I plan to do a future podcast on just social media addiction. In fact, this was almost going to be that episode, but then kind of got sidetracked and got focused on data privacy. But it does show how even though we know it's bad for us, similar to a cigarette, we can't get rid of it. That aspect of being connected is too addicting. And these apps and these platforms are being purposely designed that way. They know what they're giving us in terms of keeping us on the platform. There's a lot of people who are paid a lot of money to keep people like us signed into that platform. So what now? What what do we do? <laughs> I mean, people are taking all this data from us. We clearly can't stop using the platforms and giving them this data. So it seems like a lost cause. There seems to be that argument that privacy is dead or at least severely dying. So there's no point in pursuing this any further. And I don't believe that's true. We should care. It's, it's not acceptable to be indifferent to internet privacy. Because while companies might not have crossed your own line in the sand, your personal point where it's too much, if we don't keep pushing for future legislation and company policies to be more transparent, our own line will eventually be crossed. Some company will eventually do something that you deem too far. So we have to push action. We have to support legislation. We have to push companies to be more transparent in terms and agreements. And this is not a bad thing. I don't think this is an opinion that has to be a right or wrong. I think it's in all of our best interest to know what's going on. Whether or not you agree with it or not, it should be transparent about what people are doing with our data. And what's connected to that is we need to help push for these laws and legislation that push back just this notice and consent. So this notice and consent idea is that for a while it was enough that as long as companies told you what they were doing, it was good. But in reality, as fast as technology is moving and how complicated these terms and conditions agreements have become, I think there's some estimates out there that it, takes, it would take upwards of like 30 days or something to read all of the terms and conditions that we have accepted through all the platforms we're involved in. It's not feasible or realistic for people to understand what they're agreeing to. This terms and consent, this um, notice and consent is becoming outdated with the pace of technology. I think companies need to be more clear to us about what they're doing with our data in a way that we can understand. Not saying that we're all stupid and can't understand terms and conditions, but even in the most plain English, it's hard for people to read through them and understand what exactly they're signing away.
But outside of the legal, I guess, implications of this and what I think people should do on the side, it is interesting how our data is being used. And it's clear that our data is being used in ways we never intended or never imagined. So it's interesting to think about, should we have rights to our own information? Should I be able to sell my data as I see fit? Back to the line in the sand, I'm sure everyone has a different point in their privacy that they deem to be too far. Some people might not want their pictures online while other people don't care and actually don't mind sharing every aspect. So should we able to be able to draw our own line? Should there be a way where we can actually sell our own data and profit the same way these companies have? And there's actually companies that are starting up in this area where you can actually go on and give them personal information of yours by choice and receive payment for it. So companies and advertising companies will pay for your data and then you get some of that money. Is that the future we all want rather than these social media companies owning all of our data, we own it? Or does that us at the same point where now the social norm is just rather than giving it up for free, we're just giving it up for money, which leads us to the same hole of everything comes back to us in the form of advertisements and even mass political campaigns. I'm not sure, but I just found that interesting that this idea of selling your own information never really came up until now in 2019. And while companies are using our data in different ways than we imagined, I think the idea of personal information is becoming different than it used to be. I think growing up, a lot of us were taught that personal information was social security numbers or account numbers or related banking information. But this is becoming mainly outdated as data science improves and you can start getting to that end goal without any of that information. Why do I care if my social media or not social media? Why do I care if my social security number is private when a company can recreate my voice, my image and a video of me and put it online and do anything in the world, make me say anything, log into applications using my voice? That seems more concerning to me than a simple social security number being published online. And this is the age that we're in. As technology gets better, the definition of just personal identifying information has to change. It has something has to change in terms of what we deem as safeguarded personal information. But it does get to the point if you can ever actually draw a line. Is is there a way to draw a line if it becomes true that your face becomes the way people can identify you and now companies learn how to log into phones and applications with your face? And recreations of it doesn't even matter anymore. Is now everyone's face guarded as personal identifying information? I'm not sure. But what I do think is that we're definitely not doomed. I mean, our generation might be apathetic and not have a lot of action when it comes to data privacy, but we're aware of it. We are becoming aware of what this connected world is resulting in. And I think that is leading to action with people constantly leaving social media, taking breaks from it. And we're moving in the right direction. People do care about data privacy, and that just needs to be pushed further. As long as people are fighting for it, we're not going to lose data privacy. I don't think it's dead. I don't think it's, well, it might be dying, but it's dying slowly, and there's a way to save it. And while we all have our different definitions of what data privacy is to each of us, I think we need to be invested in that fight to save it. Because even though our lines in the sand may be different, we should at least know what's going on and how close they are to that line. 
And that's the key message I want to drive from this is being transparent does not change anyone, but only empowers us. If we can know what's going on with our data and know what these companies are using it for, we can then start to decide where the legislation needs to sit and where we want the line to be. But that was a long topic. There's a lot more to cover with data, but that's for a future date. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Reminder, go to Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, um, find us on Facebook as well, and I'll catch you guys next week. This has been Free From Missing Out. My name is David. See you.